really coming to appreciate the power of a future horizon and that spending time in it more than just saying, hey, what are our forecasts? But really immersing in this learning process can bring about, I promise, powerful insights that are needed and essential. Welcome everyone to Work2.O podcast. Today we have with us Mark Johnson and a brief bio. So Mark is co- has, is a co-founder uh, uh, for the strategy and innovation management consultancy uh, InnoSight with Clayton, uh, Clayton Christensen in 2000. InnoSight was acquired by Huron Consulting Group in 2017. He is the author of uh, previous books, Dual Transform- Transformation and Reinvent Your Business Model and the McKinsey award-winning Harvard Business Review article, Reinventing Your Business Model. So Mark lives in Belmont, uh, Massachusetts. So with that, Mark, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you, Vishal. It's good to be here. Awesome. So before we, we get to the meaty stuff, that's the book right there. Let's, let's talk about um, your journey, like what brought you to this point? Well, I, you know, I think a whole host of things came together. You know, I, I grew up uh, wanting to fly and uh, that led me to the Naval Academy trying to be a pilot uh, and becoming an aerospace engineer uh, at the Academy. My eyes didn't uh, stay 2020, so I didn't end up flying, but I went into the nuclear power program. So I had a full dose of engineering both in school, but also in my Navy career. Um, I think the the interest in aviation and engineering led me towards innovation. Um, and then I would add another piece to this personally. So that my dad's uh, was ex-military and so influenced me a great deal towards <clears throat> wanting to go, you know, wanting to go to the academy and the military and, and being interested, I think, in engineering and all of that. My mom was an opera singer. Uh, so she was an artist, a full-fledged artist, and her creativity, while it didn't lend itself to me in terms of music, I think the upbringing with two parents that had this sort of engineering, mathematical mindset with a with a more artistic mindset cultivated in me, you know, an interest in um, innovation and and tying that the creative pieces of innovation, but also the engineering pieces uh, that I think come with it and that led to the work and strategy and everything else. So I ended up at Harvard Business School, met Clay Christensen of the Harvard Business School of Innovators Dilemma fame. After I finished school, we decided to do further work together that led to us in co-founding Innisight together in uh, January of 2000. And it was all around this notion of how do you manage innovation? How do you address disruptive innovation, both as a threat, but also an opportunity? And in the work of trying to understand innovation, it led to the realization you needed to tie to long-term thinking and strategy to be able, especially in those breakthrough types of growth innovation efforts. And so that put us into the world of strategy, and then it led to thinking about leadership. So bringing that all together is sort of led me where I am today. And and the reason I wrote the book, Lead from the Future, which is really trying to think about those disciplines of leadership and strategy and innovation and how they come together. So I did that pretty quickly, but but that is 
all the way back what I think has led me in a minute or less to why I'm here today. That's awesome, man. And, and thank you for walking us through the, through the journey. So for our listeners and viewers, what is uh, InnoSight? If you can just walk us through the typical day-to-day -day and what the company does today. Sure. Well, InnoSight is a strategy and innovation management consulting firm. We were acquired by Huron Consulting, which is focused mostly on healthcare delivery and higher education. They acquired us in 2017. But our firm, our practice remains an independent group um, that we're focused on how uh, companies, large and small, can navigate their way through you know, the today, the here and now, and, and into the future and really own their future, recognizing that oftentimes the future is, is, is not a, a, a linear path from today, that there are, there are points of inflection, there's changes, there's disruptions. So how do you navigate the path of disruption to own your future and, and really continue to drive top line growth? And I would say, you know, as we deal with this COVID crisis, uh, this this importance to be able to look into the future, to own your future has become more important than ever. But that's what we do at Insight. We really try to help companies with the ability to define growth strategies, uh, not just in the short term, but the long term. How do they think about developing opportunities the right way that go beyond the core, again, in the spirit of growth? And then how do they drive capabilities as an organization? Uh, to be able to build a culture uh, that can be more innovative and that can set up the right leadership culture and uh, larger culture to help nurture innovation opportunities along the way. Interesting. I think um, I was always curious to understand about InnoSites. Um, I think you guys came in 2000, as you, as you rightly said. It was a it was an interesting time to begin to start talking about innovation. Like walk us through the the initial days of of this firm when everyone is panicking about. Um, I think Y two K was the talk of the town during that time. That let's let's start something innovation. Like what walk us through through some of those those struggles. Well, you're absolutely right, Vishal. I mean, it was a a challenging time. Things started well in January of two thousand, and then. We had the whole dot-com bubble, and then you had 9-11 a year later. So it was very difficult times uh, for us as well as everybody else. And there was a lot of uncertainty. So a lot of um, companies that came to us was trying to understand even more so how they might get disrupted, You know how they would need to make sure to be ready to innovate to get through the crisis. And when we started as a company, we were more focused on trying to help with a language you know how do you build a common language about the management of innovation you know it's not just innovation as a blank word but there's sustaining innovation there's disruptive innovation you know there's innovation that sustains the core business but there's new and different innovation that can be an opportunity to disrupt industries you know and how do you manage both so we really started as a firm more in the if you will, the executive education side, you know, more of the teaching side. We did a lot of collaborative things with Harvard Business School and we helped companies in, in we even did some conferences. So we were developing case studies for companies. And as we moved along, we realized um, that there were opportunities to to actually more work like a traditional consulting firm and actually conduct with teams 
a process by which they could problem solve to identify opportunity, to be able to design the opportunity, to develop it, to build a business model around these opportunities, and then be able to figure out what's the right way to learn. So it's interesting, our own experience, and I think this is the experience of of many companies, whether you're startup or existing, is some things you can do deliberately. You can think about these are what we intend to do. It's a deliberate strategy, but there are other things that happen emergently. And we certainly had in those early days some emergent opportunities that we would have never foreseen, such as the government of Singapore in 2002 asking for our help to help them as a as a city-state nation to begin to think about how they could apply disruptive innovation to to allow for more entrepreneurial activity in their country and not just depend on the multinationals that come into Singapore. So, yeah, those were very interesting days and our model evolved from just like I said teaching to consulting and also our model evolved from just innovation to this importance of 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 going through the right kind of vision and strategy process to to really drive the long-term viability or sustainability of an organization. Interesting. And um, walk us through your current day-to-days. Like, what what's your typical day look like? Um, uh, if you can walk us through what do you do uh, in InnoSight. We'll be back after a short break. This part of the podcast is sponsored by Tao.ai, world's first AI-powered platform to build enterprise success network. Learn more at Tao.ai. Let's go back. Yeah. Well, I mean, one is... I do a lot of podcasts these days. I do a lot of webinars and there's a lot of opportunity with the book. Um, And in fact, again, as you might imagine, a lot of people are asking, how do I not only deal with the crisis, but how do I plan for the future? When everyone I think is starting to say, boy, this future might not be the way it used to be. Um, To quote the poet Paul Valerie, you know, who used to say, who, who literally said the future is not what it used to be. I think we can I'll say we're living and breathing that now. Um, so that's a big part. But I also have client work, and we work with uh, healthcare companies right now that are doing things that are related to the crisis, as well as dealing with things that are not related to the crisis and them trying to figure out how do they restart. A company that has medical device business that's taking a big hit because there's no elective surgery right now. So we're doing consulting both to um, work with with companies that are seeing opportunity uh important opportunity based on the crisis you know getting schools online that haven't been online and we're also trying to deal with the threats or the the immediate pain of of businesses being being shut off and how do you how do you change the portfolio how do you manage through the crisis um from an innovation perspective not just from a pure you know say cost cutting or operational side of things. So that takes up a, a decent part of my time as well. And then, you know, and then I, I think we we work uh, in a combination of, of both teaching, because all of our work, we try to be highly collaborative, you know, with the, with the, the client teams that we work with, because we want to try to not just problem solve together, but we want to transfer capability. We want to transfer this language and we want to transfer skills and know-how so that 
um, their organization can continue on without us. In particular, because uh, much of our work is with innovation teams who have a lot of smart people who are very capable to begin with. And our, our objective is really just to be additive to what they're already doing. Interesting. And um, so now let's get to the meat of the stuff, um, lead from the future. So tell us the journey. Why, why write this book? Well, so I think the reason that I decided to write the book is because we would try to embark with companies, uh, with clients so often and trying to help them get beyond their core to try to come up with a breakthrough growth initiative um, to try to change their business model based on a market changing or maybe even within their market, um, having to make some big fundamental changes. And these transformative growth efforts, uh, they get started. But then as time went on, if there was any issues that happened with the core or the growth initiative wasn't moving along at the pace that executives expected, funding would get cut. Um, or if the core business just got in trouble, funding would get cut. Um, or there would be just not the commitment even from the start to be able to, um, you know, kind of see these efforts through, you know, where they're not as predictable and not as um, easy to, to be aware of where they're going to go as, as it is with operating and executing the traditional business. There's more of a learning component. There's more of a risk management piece of it. And so we come to the realization that if we didn't think about bringing the future alive, uh, being able to do more than just a vision statement, but actually start to peer into the future to understand the environment and the implications of that and where there are opportunities, especially that could be missed if you didn't start now with these initiatives. If we didn't try to think long-term and develop this vision and this future back way of looking, then these innovation efforts, these breakthrough innovation, these disruptive innovation efforts were not getting traction. So the book is really an effort, more than an effort, I think we succeeded in it, in trying to show very clearly how you can create a vision, translate it to strategy, and then that strategy becomes the underpinning of developing both core innovation, but also breakthrough innovation, transformative innovation efforts, and giving them a much better chance of developing and succeeding in the organization versus the way we had done it without thinking about leading from the future and being more forward-looking that starts with the top team to do that. Interesting. I think a fair point. So, by the way, good book. Uh, interesting read for sure to our listeners and viewers. Uh, and, and I think one of the things that that I felt when I was reading this book. So I, I'm so I we come from the data science world. So very analytical, predicting what's going on, sort of prescriptive, predictive analytics. And when you when you come from that mindset and you read this book, it it gives you kind of a a pause, right? It, it it gives you that, okay, maybe relax and think about those strategies because we are so attuned to um, understanding the human or, or a customer behavior and from that predicting the new future or predicting the future. And I think you talked about um, that uh, that phenomenon as present forward, right? So, 
So if if, mm-hmm. if we compare compare that with say uh, future back, like how do you how do you um, uh, comply between these two ideologies? Like we are very uh, like data centric, and the world is jumping to get sort of more analytical. And then and, and then you're saying okay, maybe you should look from the future back. What's going on? No, it's another great question. Uh, let me just say. You know, being present forward, which means sort of taking the existing base of knowledge uh, and data, both current data and past data, and using that uh, to move forward in time is essential for any established institution or company. And it's going to be 90 to 90% of anybody's effort. It's the predominant mode. And you know, and the better we get at data management and analytics, the better we can um, plan forward and move product development and people development and all of those things in the right way. So it's a critical component to to what institutions and individuals need to do. What I'm saying with future back, however, is data is really only a reflection of the past. It's not really, you don't get data from the future. And yes, you can use data to put predictive models in place and to build theory. But a lot of what happens in the future is about assumptions. It's about it's about as much an art as a science and to try to say, okay, well, we have a set of trends. How are these trends coming together and how will they come together, say, five to 10 years out, which will have implications for opportunities that we might be able to develop? And what would those opportunities start to look like? That can't really be, that's, that has some data and analytic component to it, but it has a large piece that has to do with the more right brain creative design piece um, of envisioning what things could be and should be as opposed to what they are. And and so in order to think about what things are around the corner that you don't see today and to be able to anticipate them, you have to spend time in the future. And you can't do that in an analytical way completely because, as I said, there's just too many unknowns. So you have to do it in more of a debate and discussion evolve a point of view kind of way, think about these assumptions that you want to make and that you then want to figure out how you bring those back to the present to test them through a set of experiments that move you towards that intended future view and future vision. And that's all what Future Back is about. It's both a way of thinking, which is how do you think holistically? How do you think clean sheet, zero base? Don't let today's orthodoxies and structure, at least for the moment, impede how things could be and should be? Um, How do you take as a process and walk that future back, literally? So imagine what things could be in 2030. What does that mean in terms of what business and capability-wise you would need to have in 2027 to meet that intention? And then you just keep working it back. The final piece about it is, in this future back way, it's not give me the data and the information and I'll make a decision and take action and and then we keep moving on. This is about an iterative loop. It's about exploring, 
envisioning, learning, discovering what worked, what didn't, how do I adjust my vision and strategy? How do I adjust the initiatives that I'm going toward? So it's a messier, more creative, more iterative, three steps forward, a step back kind of process. But we have found if you can get leadership and other teams to spend 10%, maybe up to 20% of their time in this mode, they will develop insights and a perspective that will help all the things they're doing today in this present forward mode. We'll be back after a short break. This part of the podcast is sponsored by AI, world's first AI-powered platform to build enterprise success network. Learn more at AI. Let's go back. Interesting. And I think one thing that um, when I was reading the book, one story that really came out um, from my my personal experience. So it's a, a one of the Fortune 100 company, uh, one of their, they recently hired a, 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 um, a basically a sales strategy head uh, for the company. And his job, this is the only one of one in million uh, uh, story that I've heard, which actually kind of resonate with what this book is all about. So he said that, hey, I don't want you to, make my sales guys efficient i want to i want you to just ignore whatever we have and build something from ground up because we may be missing out because sure i can give like two percent improvement with 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 tweaks here and there but what i want to figure out if there are undercurrents happening that that are that are transforming the organization that i I don't have a vision with and maybe you can just go on on this ride and, and and basically look back uh, from from your vantage point, what do you see? If there are any holes that we can fix, and if there are any strategies, and he end up sort of redefining one of their pricing strategy, which actually generates substantial revenue um, for this particular company. But that I think, and his so that was a good part, right? But then eighty percent of his conversation was bickering, right? My leaders were not cooperating with me. People were not interacting with me because they want to meet the sales quota, right? They they are not mm-hmm. looking for throwing outside everything outside the window. So what would you tell to this guy? Like how would, uh, if there are other who are not that successful in pushing this idea forward, what 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 do you suggest to these guys that they should do to to get this idea out and, and so they can execute something? Yeah, no, it's another great question. Um, well, I think one thing is, uh, you know, back to starting with language, uh, you know, so much of what creates resistance is there's, there's uh there are biases right they're they're just in, intrinsic biases about you know the future can't really be predicted it's a fool's errand nobody has a crystal ball um uh it's not going to do anything for the next number of quarters as you said um you know we we just don't have time you know let's focus on the things that are more tangible and we have time for so what we found is you have to start with a this language of present forward versus future back. You have to make the case why long-term thinking really matters. And as you probably saw in the book, one of the one of the examples I give or data for that matter that I give is long long-term shareholder return, you know, versus mm-hmm. margin expansion and showing there's no correlation in the long term with companies that keep trying to improve their margins at the expense of the top line versus long term shareholder return versus revenue growth has a perfect correlation so over the long term over the 8 year period of which this was 
was the the time frame for these top you know 20 market cap companies there was absolutely without a shadow of doubt proof that you know back to making the case that from a financial point of view from a share total shareholder return point of view the companies that are thinking long term that are driving long term revenue growth and not worried about the immediate term of of keep driving out margin are the ones that sustain and the ones that really create value. So I think you got to build this language about uh, making the case, um, showing also there's a huge gap in 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 companies thinking, and they don't really have a measurement for it, which is what is that opportunity out there? What is that opportunity cost that is occurring because you haven't been able to think about the possibility that there is something to do beyond what you're doing now uh, that can create whole new growth. So it's more about the opportunity than the threat out in the future. Uh, there are certainly threats, you know, and to your point, early signals and warning signs. So anyway, I think you have to make the case and give examples and use something like present forward and future back and say, future back is not an 80% of your time, or it's not even a 50-50. It's how can you carve out a little bit of time and dedicate that time and think about it in the right way, use this right kind of learning process, which is not an operate and execute type of process. And by the way, this can include functions as well. It doesn't have to just be the whole business. It can be HR. It can be the marketing function. It can be even in budgeting. So first, I think you got to build this language. And the second is I think if you can create the specifics of how you would actually do it, how do you bring a vision and translate it into a strategy and then link that to modest experiments today that can mitigate the risk and that, that cannot take up too much of the resources? You know, again, 10% of the dollars and the people and the management bandwidth, then I think you give. Um, an awareness that this is eminently doable and it's not this major distraction or um, or encringement on you know all of the efforts that are being made toward the core interesting and i think um, so when when I, when I when i hear this 10% talk you should allocate towards towards these kind of initiatives i think one thing that comes to my mind is um, say uh, many of the companies who are legacy uh, basically low margin businesses who are basically struggling to get get the foothold if you talk to their executives about r&d budget right if you talk to them about that they're very squeaky that hey i have take automakers for an example they have this one slingshot opportunity that they can take maybe and and then they have they are, they are competing for low margin sort of um, in, in in their respective categories how does does that does that ideology change from industry to industry that how much you can flex toward this idea of um, going going future back versus uh, present forward well i i do think you know one of the things we we talk about um in the book is once you've looked into the future um and you've talked about the environment and trend lines, and you've talked about where's the customer going and what's gonna really matter to her, you know, based on the trends and the circumstance, the implications of all that, if you do it right, are either there's a real threat and we have to address it, or it's a moderate threat, or there's this big opportunity that we need to see, or stay the course. Um, we have just too much opportunity already in what we're doing, um, 
we we shouldn't be diverting funds away from or or time or attention into anything about planting the seeds just because we we're on such an amazing growth path with the core. So I think unless you're in that last category, um, I think this applies to er and, and we would say that's very rare. If if you're feeling like you don't have the funds because you're hunkering down on the core, um, because there's there's trouble or there's challenges, there's there's more the reason you have to begin to try to figure out some way to be an investing for the future. So in terms of industries, I, I don't I don't think there's any. The only thing that applies to different industries from our perspective is the time horizon. So a software company, they're far out, sort of what we would call uncomfortable, but but not unrelatable horizon, maybe only up to five years. Whereas a company or defense contractor might be past 10 years. They might need to look out 15 years or more to kind of get past the, the planning and forecasting horizon. So that that's the main way we see differences in industries. What we don't typically find or or would recommend against would be thinking that that this is something that doesn't apply to us because somewhere we're in our industry state um that means we just can't we can't carve that out uh because by not carving it out you're basically saying that you don't have any major or moderate threats down the road to deal with you don't have any major or moderate opportunities down the road with that you should de develop now Everything from a threat and opportunity side relates to exactly what you're doing now, and and therefore just keep R and D, keep all your spending and efforts on um, on sustaining this core, and and we see that as a as I said a very rare exception. Um, most companies are facing too much turbulence in the industry, too much of technologies evolving, people are learning data, analytics, all these things are creating really constant change, which makes it highly unlikely that your quote unquote theory of the business is just going to remain um, indefinitely. In fact, lastly, I'll just say we we talk about in the book uh, the present forward fallacy, the notion that you mm -hmm. can just continue to increment your business indefinitely into the future uh, is it's very dangerous to to think that way uh, for all the reasons uh, that I've discussed and I think everybody understands. We'll be back after a short break. This part of the podcast is sponsored by Tao.ai, world's first AI-powered platform to build enterprise success network. Learn more at Tao.ai. Let's go back. Interesting. And and um, I definitely want your perspective on, the on today's times, uh, what's happening, right? But... Um, Another interesting, um, say two months back, if you, if you looked at our economy at that point, we were talking about technology disruption. We're talking about AI taking over. We're talking about automation uh, impacting sort of many companies. And then on the on the technology side, you if you see the you see lot of transformative companies uh, technologies that are emerging that that are going um, basically they're going. Uh, under undergoing their own S S curve disruption, right? They're undergoing their own evolution. Right. So basically, you are relying on some. You know, something is happening, but whatever is happening is itself is um, evolving really rapidly, right? 
so when you are in those conversation whenever we, we we talk to any business they are basically all scratching their head and okay we don't even know where to evolve right we don't know what's going on so we're just trying to just figure out if there's any stable technology out there many companies that that are uh, legacy they're saying we just hold on to it unless there's enough uh, proof point before we jump on board so what will you tell those companies that if because they're it's a pretty interesting time i think and, and your book is very timely from that perspective because um if you don't react you will lose um, basically you lose out on, on on the disruptive trends if you react too quickly you will be paying the price for disruption that is someone else is doing in, in its own industry what would you say would be a better resolve for the companies like what are you seeing from your vantage point yeah no um i think it's it's very interesting what you're saying so when we prescribe this five to ten year horizon in the book where you spend a lot of time in the, the the idea is to get out of the noise of the here and now to be at a place where it's likely that there's points of inflection it's likely that there could be a disruption if you go that far out some form of disruption technological what have you um or this is clearly a disruption this pandemic of an economic proportion but it's these kind of black swan events or things that just you can't predict off a trend line. And so you look out five to 10 years for those along with trend lines in general, and you, you, you take those trend lines and you tie it really importantly to what the customer is trying to get done so you can see where value is, is gonna go for the customer and therefore how your organization. Now I set all that up to say, well, this COVID-19 crisis takes all those trends and takes all that disruptive inflection points and moves it way up moves it up mm. you know to to now instead of thinking about oh we can just kind of think about these technologies in five to ten years those things for many many companies and many industries are now part of the 12 to 24 months they're part mm. of the next year and the next 24 months so what we prescribe is you need the visioning piece more to more to kind of inspire the organization that hey we're going to get through all this noise and we have a place that we want to go and we have a purpose and we have hope and we have a way to think about what is our you know what are the things that are going to really matter to us um you know like there are companies we analyzed in terms of um what we call the transformation 20 uh, around the world companies and found that well, common denominator in their ability to transform is that they were imbued with purpose. You know, Siemens saying that they were really trying to make for a better society. An, an, a Danish, Danish company called Orsted who said that they wanted to move into more clean energy and, you know, to, to help, again, better society. Um, so you need that vision piece, but then you need to bring that back to the 12 to 24 months. And that's really gonna be the place where you're gonna really have these deep conversations about future back. And you're gonna have to include scenarios because there's just so much uncertainty about where things are going. But you have to have the same conversation, which is take for a moment and not think about today and think about what could be and should be in that future because you don't wanna extrapolate a linear line to everything being somehow tied to off of exactly how it goes today there could be discontinuous changes 
And so you want to think, what's the environment going to be like in, in a year from now, in a year and a half, tied off of our vision? Um, what does our organization want to, to be focused on in terms of the existing, but also the new normal and new opportunities? How do you begin to think about different options that and scenarios in that time? And then begin to then bring that back to today to say, what are our priorities of investment and initiatives? What things do we want to keep doing in the core as investment, but also what are some of the things we need to plan now in order to achieve our 12 to 24 month horizon? For example, we're doing work in higher education and there's a number of um, business schools in executive education who are saying, you know, we're, we may never go back to just being in the classroom the way before. We we absolutely now need to get online in a way that we've never been online before. Well, you you need to do that future back and look at where do you want to be with online learning and education as part of your curriculum in 24 months from now or 18 months from now? And what is that going to look like? Not just get everybody online, but think holistically of all the aspects of what makes the right learning environment. And then how do you walk that back to the pieces of that new system that you need to start building today so you think, again, future back and holistically, and you don't try to retrofit the existing in-person classroom paradigm and just put that online. That's what happened with newspapers, by the way, in the very beginning. Mm -hmm. They just took the newspaper, the printed newspaper, and they just put it online. And that's not really how online news uh, and information has, as we know, ultimately became fundamentally a different business model. Interesting. So um, I think you raised an interesting point about black swan events, right? So it, now if, if we talk about what's happening today, right? So suddenly we uh, a black black swan event happened. And if, if you look at, say, um, investors playbook, right? So many times you say when the, the turbulent times come, just hold on to your cash, right? So just stop all these projects, all sort of this, this, these things and just make sure the lights are on just you basically assess the risk assess the uh, what's going on and if how much control do you have on the situation and just go in in that in that strategy duck hole and trying to figure out what's going on so how would how would something like um, future back gets impacted with something like this like how would you how would you suggest that is this the right time or how would if I'm a company and I'm seeing this black swan events emerging around me, how would I read this book? Well, I think again it's 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 about doing both present forward and future back. I mean there there clearly are immediate actions and things you have to do to attend to the current crisis. Um, we wrote a book a few years ago um, that I co-authored called Dual Transformation. Mm -hmm. I think you have to think about it as a dual transformation. There are there are going to be a set of things to your point. You're going to have to make changes to the to the current organization to 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 be in survival mode. And and we would say, you know, it could be cost cutting, but maybe it's not cut cost, maybe it's more of a transformation thoughtful about how you reposition the core business to remain viable when so many things have changed today or in the next number of months. So think about how you have to change the core, but you also think you have to think about what are you going to um, 
do differently beyond the core as a result of this crisis and and, and consistent with your vision your purpose driven vision to inspire the organization so how do you also think about building the new and different and spending some time soon to begin to plan for that and plant seeds for it because if you just stay present forward and operate and execute and just deal with the crisis of today and all of this and you just keep doing that because you say we don't have time for anything else what happens 12 months from now when your competitors and others and entrepreneurs have been spending 12 months rethinking the new normal and you've said well we don't have time because we've just trying to stay above water somehow you have to find the time to do both and again maybe it's 80 or 90 percent of your time is on the core and core transformation but on a weekly basis find that 10 percent or 20 up to 20 percent of the time to have these conversations as a leadership team about what things in our future tied back to the next 18 to 24 months do we need to be planning for and thinking about now in addition to the things we're working in the immediate interesting i think it's, it's a fair point so if um if i'm an executive and and basically i i get it i get this idea of of um, leading from the future and somehow my ecosystem or sort of my uh, empowerment network so as to speak if they are not sold on this idea what what would you suggest i should do what would what would, you, would be my playbook from 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 your mindset that i should be executing to because it requires a cultural change for for some companies who are not very thoughtful about looking back and and it's it's exceptionally crucial i totally agree uh, with you on that what would you tell those, to those leaders who are stuck in this uh, present forward and thinking okay i just have to be 2% better than the last time and i'm and i'm i'm good there so what would you tell them well i think you have to go back to this um idea of language or or maybe even more pointed having a mantra um Satya Nadella, when he took over Microsoft, now it wasn't in a societal crisis like we were, but they were certainly big challenges for Microsoft. And when Satya Nadella took over, um, he, just long story short, actually it was through his, his wife shared with him a book. And um, I talk a little bit about this in Lead from the Future. And long story short is, what came in Satya's mind was that Microsoft had become a culture of know-it-alls. And he said, we need to change to a culture of learn-it-alls, right? And that was his whole book on, you know, hit reset and um, hit refresh, I think. Did I get that wrong? Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's hit refresh. And, and I think that's a mantra. Uh, and I think it's very consistent with what I would advise today, which is learnings on the other side of innovation. And in and 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 humility's on the other side of learning, and I think one of the first steps is is to try to to help the organization move towards a culture of humility and learning that allows them to learn from the future, learn from the moment, um, and be able to pivot and adjust quickly when there's all this kind of disruption and churn. You know, we talk about orgas, you mentioned the automotive industry. When we worked with automotive clients and they said, well, you know, we've got all these things coming at us, electrification where the, mm -hmm. the internal combustion engine might go away, um, uh, um, uh, 
automation, you know, autonomous vehicles, connectivity, which can change the whole paradigm of how, you know, what really is a car and how connected it is with, you know, Internet of Things and all of that. And big data and, you know, artificial intelligence is part of autonomy. You know, we don't know what the future is going to hold. And that's absolutely true. But you again, you can set a vision and a direction. And the and what you need to do to get toward that vision is the company that learns the fastest and be able to learn from the environment, learn from themselves and adjust for it is the ones that are going to be the most successful because nobody does have a crystal ball. So I'd say the same thing here is how do you get an organization, a culture to embrace, you know, what Peter Senge talked about in the early 90s, the fifth discipline, you know, to become a true learning organization, to be able to not just say, give me the facts and data and make decisions, but how can we explore? How can we debate and discuss and have this sort of more foresight type of conversation that then leads to envisioning, to imagine and to be able to develop and then leads to discovery, test and learn? You know, the process should be ongoing. You have a vision. In the next 18 to 24 months, you have scenarios and points of view about what things you need to be investing in now. And then you have a bunch of things you are investing in now, both for the short term and the midterm. You've got to use learning to continue to pivot on, okay, what is the information and the insights and experience tell us about changes or, or shaping of our vision? How do we adjust our scenarios in the way we think about the 18 to 24 month set of options? And how do we adjust what we prioritize as initiatives? It, it can't be a one and done exercise. You know, so often, oh, we do strategy once a year, strategic planning, or we'll do a major strategic review once every five years. That's the, it can't be that way anymore. The world's moving too fast. And especially now it's at lightning speed. You have to constantly be revisiting and learning from the environment and encouraging, like Satya Nadella, for an organization to be an organization of learn-it-alls, not know-it-alls. Interesting. And and um, about the book. So, if um, describe us the typical reader that that you wrote this book for. Well, to be honest, I had a ambitious goal for the audience because um, first let me say and then I could maybe dissect down to the individual reader the audience is not just for for uh, business people executives managers etc this pertains to government and to nonprofits to the military to even faith-based institutions I just think in our world uh, you know, even well before the COVID-19 crisis, you know, we've become very short-sighted. We've become very much here and now oriented. Most organizations are not forward-looking or at least not forward-looking enough. And I think it's a real pathology. It's a real dilemma. Um, it's a real crisis even before the COVID crisis because it's risking the the stewardship, the longevity of organizations and to keep them thriving and growing. So the audience, generally speaking, is for leaders well beyond the business leadership. Within the business leadership, I think, I think it applies to the top team. I think it applies not just for the strategy, chief strategy officer, but the head of HR, the head of marketing, all of the team, I think, needs to be thinking and appreciating the power of thinking about the future and, and, and planning for it. And, 
and the organization itself, the individuals that are running innovation teams or they're within a function, um, even for themselves, you know, being able to appreciate, you know, that visionary thinking isn't some mystical thing that only some of these famous people who are considered visionaries can do. Uh, that that there is a way of thinking in a process, and that's what we lay out lead from the future that can help you both personally and help you within your function or help you within your business unit or your division or for the enterprise. Interesting. It's a pretty and, ambitious um, of audience. So okay, nice, nice. And and so you spoke about visionary organization. Like what what is a visionary organization? What would you call an organization as a visionary organization? I think a visionary organization is one that has a narrative about its future horizon in terms of what it wants to be and what it wants to become and what it should become, how it can shape the future. And and I put this very explicitly in the book that a visionary organization isn't an organization that has a vision statement, you know, that's a couple sentences that it did as part of a vision and mission uh defining you know to exercise a visionary organization really has a clear sighted view of what the organization and its core business its future businesses come together as a system what that should look like to best seize the opportunity for how things in the future are going to look like and it has an ability to marshal or it has an ability to align people behind that it's focused on the narrative. It's focused on the purpose that's in that vision narrative. Um, it aligns people behind it. Uh, it. A visionary organization is very, as I said, very open to learning um, because it's using what it learns to continue to adjust its vision and adjust what it needs to do to get there. And that is what I think is a visionary organization that it's constantly thriving and adjusting and and evolving um, and changing in the right ways, also sticking to its true principles and and protecting the core business at the same time. So that's to me a visionary organization. And and as you're pointing out, it it doesn't have to just be within one individual. It it can be embedded in the culture of the organization if it will embrace future back thinking and embrace future back process as a way to make vision come to life and make it practical in terms of day-to-day -day decision making. Interesting. And and while um, uh, during the process of writing this book, what are some of the myths that you end up uh, uh, sort of uncovering when it comes to so from lead from the future? What are some of the myths that you saw that businesses who are who could use this are on the fence that, that you think that they could address? Well, I think you know the first and foremost myth is um, that the future, you know, futuring like this, which is more than just futuring, right? Because you're not just saying, "Hey, this is what we see as these top ten trends." You're you're really you're actually proactively defining your future state, what you look like as a enterprise in that. But I think there's a huge bias um, against. Mm -hmm looking out five to 10 years, that it's not practical, uh, that it's a fool's errand, you know, nobody has a crystal ball. So there's, and I think it's a myth and a misconception 
I, I think people think in order to make conversations around the future constructive, you have to be definitive. And it's not about certainty and it's not about creating a photograph of the five to 10 year horizon. It's, it's about creating an impressionist painting. It's about creating a perspective. And so I think the first is as much a misunderstanding about what does it mean to manage the future? And if we could get the right language and the right approach and, and just start to have conversations about the future as teams, not just as individuals, I know just from the experience of having done this for the last 10 plus years in our 20 year um, uh, time as Innosite that that they will be powerful and productive conversations and that they will lead to new insights. Um, so to me, that's the number one myth to get over. I mean, the other, I think, myth is that you don't have time for it. And we've talked mm -hmm. a lot about that. Um, you, you cannot get stuck in the tyranny of the urgent, um, which companies are facing all the time because there's just more and more coming at them, right, as, as managers, as leaders. So there's got to be a way to prioritize and say, you know, this will never be as urgent as the next 12 months or what things have to happen, you know, to continue to sustain and operate and execute the business. But it doesn't mean that it's any less vital. It may not be as urgent, but we got to get over the myth that uh, I think um, the urgent things are what we need to take our time at, you know, ten, spend our time on. We need to as much get past that and spend our time on what things are vital. And just from just knowing how many companies are struggling to um, to drive top line growth in the long term and develop new growth platforms, you can see they are not spending time on this vital discussion about the future and future opportunities. Um, so you got to get that myth around time management. I think as another you know as another big problem. Um, <clears throat> and then I guess you know what I would probably say as a last myth is. We got to get past the present forward fallacy, which is, mm. oh, we can go into the future. We'll take what we have today and we'll just extrapolate that into the future. And and we got to get past the myth that that, that this notion that somehow the future is going to be a straight line. Um, we have to be able to get out of our orthodoxies and and clean sheet and think more as a design thinker to be able to make the future planning um, done in the right way. Awesome. And, and, and thank you for, um, so much for, for walking us through this book. I think it was pretty, pretty nice. And, uh, and thank you for helping us understand the, the lead from the future construct um, in an organization. So now we are at the tail end of the conversation. And I want to spend a few minutes on your journey, uh, if, if I may. So um, sure. we ask all of our guests um, to talk about some of the some of the qualities that really help them stay where they are today like what would you attribute your success to which qualities has really helped you become what you are today so what would you what would you attribute those qualities well one <clears throat> that i think uh shouldn't be a surprise since we we talked about it quite a bit you know and i said it was so tightly tied to innovation um is learning uh, you know i've been a in a i've been a student of learning and and i'm not saying i you know, say I, I have the mastery of it, but I have had a passion for it and I've really valued it. And I feel like 
individual and ongoing, you know, individual and organizational learning is 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 more critical than ever. And I think what I would attribute to my success um, and and insight success, I believe, is having this learning openness um, to be explicit about the learning process um, and 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 know what is learning and what's not, and what are all the dimensions of the kinds of learning, you know, learning from lessons learned versus learning from best practices and different problem-solving modes and, and embracing that learning as a discipline. And then also recognizing, and this is one of Inisight's literally stated values is humility, that the humility piece is, mm-hmm. is critical to be able to learn and to be in the right listening mode and to learn from the right people. And so I think learning is perhaps number one for me and embracing it and trying to be as good at it as as running it as an individual in a process as I can be. And then I also think um, communications has been, been huge. Communications in the sense that it can enable learning because you reach out and you talk to people and you you listen to them and you try to understand them and you try to teach in the right way. Um, and and so I I think learning with teaching and then I guess finally, you know, all of that, I think this is the entrepreneurial part in me and in kind of continuing to try to help and grow insight is taking initiative, you know, thinking about mm-hmm. um, what can I start and instigate by myself? You know, who can I reach out to and be able to think uh, could give me some valuable insight or information or could be a mentor? Um, could be a helper and, you know, not wait, wait for them to come to me, but me go to them. And, you know, there's always that feeling like being vulnerable, like ego sets in and says, well, you know, I, I should have people that come to me and ask me questions, but I have found being proactive and asking others questions and being good again in that learning mode and communicating all then leads to helping me build not just knowledge, but, you know, trying to build, more importantly, I think, wisdom, um, you know, about, you know, about what really kind of drives success. What are those principles? And I think that comes through these elements that I talked about. Awesome. And and, and uh, thank you so much for sharing those with us. Um, so one more thing that we ask our guests to share some of their favorite reads. Uh, for our listeners and viewers, like, can you share some of your favorite reads with us? Yeah, well, well, one I um, I'll give you kind of two flavors. One I've I've enjoyed just because I'm so much now in the space of this. Um, anything and everything about the future. So you know, I maybe this is a plug for my good friend and colleague Rita McGrath in her book Seeing Around Corners, which I think our books are very complementary, and you, you get the same idea. You know, with the title Seeing Around Corners. Um, and then, and then I've had some fun books, but along the serious line, you know, I like, I like historical, um, I like to have reads that are historical biographies and historical events. So I've, I've read, um, the latest book by, um, Ron Chernow on, uh, Ulysses S. Grant, um, still actually reading it. And then Chernobyl, um, I, I saw the miniseries, but my daughter gave me the book, and I'm just enthralled. You know, can't get enough of it. So uh, that's kind of a very uh, eclectic combination. But that's at least what I've recently read and been reading. Thank you so much on 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 sharing those reads. 
So last but not the least, if you want something um, that our listeners and viewers could take away from this conversation, what would that be? Like, what would be your closing remark to our listeners and viewers? Um, I think, I think the closing remark is that um, being able to put yourself into a future horizon and engage in a set of conversations that are past just and data um, and doing it in a collaborative way to go from foresight you know to uh, to insight to action by the way that's uh that's from my other good friend bob johansson who runs the institute for the future talks about it that way but it, but it's about really coming to appreciate the power of a future horizon and that spending time in it more than just saying hey what are our forecasts but really immersing in this learning process can bring about i promise powerful insights that are needed and essential as to be complementary with the insights that come from facts and data in present forward mode you got to bring these together and and we need to put this in the lexicon and we'll have much more success in um planting the future generations of people and companies and society as a whole with that um thank you so much mark and to our listeners and viewers um do do check out the book um definitely i gave it a read uh, it, it's definitely a good book and it's a it's i think it's it's a good refresher it's it's a good strategy book for a, a quick read to understand what's going on what they should do and and it's i think uh, when I was reading that, I, I was getting this feeling of uh, spending five hours on myself, right? So it's, it's pretty much, it's like spending some time for your organization, looking back what's going on. And you're not just, I think, I, and you rightly said, it's the present forward fallacy that we, many times we just, it's it's like a, uh, keep keep rolling the wheel and we, we lose track of what the mission and what's the broader picture that we're trying to solve. And it's a, definitely a good read. And with that, thank you so much, Mark, for your time. And Wish you nothing but success on the book. Um, and I will post the link for the book on the description to our listeners and viewers. And um, thank you for your time. Thank you, Vishal. Been great to be here. Uh, I thought I was sick of home, but actually I was homesick. Never really knew that I would have to grow up so quick. I'm so uncomfortable, don't know anybody here. Just a couple dudes that I met once, that's it. And I go into the booth feeling nervous. Got butterflies in my stomach like I'm so worthless. Is the mic on? I don't know how to work this. Inside I'm breaking down, I hope I'm not up on a certain